I got my AC on. Do I need to kick that off? You sound no, great, dude. Yeah, you sound great. You sound better than most, actually. But I, w- I was actually kind of thinking, like, how bad is the rooms in that in this Airbnb going to smell when you got, like, <laughs> a bunch of 40-something-year-old dudes? All of us are overweight except for you, Noah. Uh, oh, amateur hour. Yeah, does, amateur that, hour. does that mean Noah doesn't smell? Is that what you're saying? Because he's not overweight? Oh. Well, I mean, because we're all going to like <clears throat> they uh, Neil sent us pictures of the Airbnb and like one of the rooms is four sets of bunk beds. So, <laughs> like we're going to have fucking like fart wars and it's going to be like stepbrothers. <laughs> yeah, we should take bets on how many of us have to have CPAP machines. <laughs> is this the podcast? Is this what we're doing? Are yeah, we a little, little pre-show. Well, all right. A little pre-show. pre-show show. Okay. Sweet. What's up, guys? This is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy-duty parts and framing with well-thought-out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far, the best accessory item that Ameri Braid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick-release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to merrybraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hustle and Grind podcast. I am your host, Noah, from Inniat River Forge. With me is your host, Ryan, from Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks. Hello. And our special guest in the house today is the man, the myth, the legend, the yo himself. Yo. Yo, what's up? (laughs) There's the authentic (laughs) one. There's the the, the real yo. The real one. Ours do it no justice. Will will the real yo please stand up? <laughs> the real yo's right here, folks. Oh man, I'm so I've I've been like excited about this episode. You're one of my favorite Instagram personalities. Well, just, man, every time I'm, your videos come on, I get happy. I'm like, ah, yo. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. That's what I try to do. Is uh, you know. I started, you know, we all work late nights in the shop usually because uh, it's always a kind of a hustle on the side. And, uh, man, I do like reels at the end of the night and it'd be like 1030, 1130 at night. And I'm like, you know, down that time after working a full day, you're just like dragging. And I'm like, I got to You got to get this up. So, yeah, I started doing the yo's just uh, having fun with it. <laughs> So, so that was literally just you battling your own exhaustion and burnout just to just to try and remain positive. Pretty much, man. I got to get myself hyped up, so I got to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, your uh, your your method of, of of building everyone else up is is just it's just self medication, basically. That's cool. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's what it turned out to be. So, speaking of working a full day, full hard days, right now. Currently, you work for Mr. House. 
Yep, yep. But before that, you were a mechanic, right? Right. Yeah, I was a mechanic for 22 years, uh, shop foreman of a small independent repair shop. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was nonstop. That was that was the deal. Nice. We got three wrench turners in the house. What did That's you work crazy. on? What was your go to thing? Um, BMW is my main line that I did, but oh. we did all uh, all imports. It was all BMW, Volkswagen, Audi, Mercedes, Porsche. But we were really heavy on BMW and Porsche. So you have lots of special tools. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of metric stuff and special special tools that are now useless to me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The, I I rarely work on European cars, which I'm happy about. Uh, but every time I get into that, there's like some random special tool that there's just no way I can get my hands on because I work at a GM dealership. Like we don't have that stuff. Uh, yep. Did your shop do alignments at all? We did not do alignments. Uh, we didn't. Okay. We didn't do any alignments. So that was uh, one thing we didn't have. Uh, but you know, we we dug into engines and transmissions and did all those heavy repairs. So you know, European stuff always breaks. It's a good uh, job security. Oh yeah, for and sure. And it's very over engineered. Yeah, no joke. But you know, after you do it so long, uh, you learn their their language and you learn how they design things and. They just kind of, it's like building blocks. So if you know how to work on a 1990s BMW and then you follow their their logic all the way up, you know, doing a 2012 or 14 or even 2020, you know, it requires a little more special tools and some electronic stuff, but uh, you just kind of, those building blocks are there. So, yeah. But I would see American stuff and dude, I hated working on trucks because I'm like to say it, like you said, uh, no, it's like all these tools. And then I got to like get a little step ladder and get up in there. And I'm like, <laughs> Nope, I'm used to working on stuff super low to the ground that you have to put on a lift so you can reach it and not break your back. And when I get a yep. truck in with some like 35s on it, I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. I'm too big to lay across <laughs> an engine bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. I'm the other end. Everything I work on, you can hold in your hands. Yeah. Like, which man, you can't hide from that stuff. No. Yeah, it was uh, quite a few years back when I decided I needed a, uh, a diving board to, to do the stuff that I do, uh, which if you don't know, it's basically it's 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 they're called technically, I think it's called a topside creeper. Yep. And it basically is just like a little step ladder that goes up and has a little platform that's padded that you can lay on over the top of the engine compartment. Hopefully that makes sense to the listeners. But uh it, it just makes everything a lot easier when you can just roll that up, take a couple steps up and just like lay down on your belly and, and uh, lift cylinder heads out from underneath the, the hood a lot easier. Yeah. You got to have that doing that stuff. Otherwise you're just laying all over. You lay down on the hood latch and it, it tries to gore a hole in your stomach. And uh, not to mention just the, the torque that goes onto your back when you're doing that. And stuff. You, you lay across like a uh, plastic coolant outlet. And the next thing you know, you're like, why, why am I wet? And why is my, stomach, <laughs> why is my stomach scalding hot right now? Yep. <laughs> oh, that was an expensive piece. Oh, yep. whoops. Yep. That's it. So what's been right going on, on with you guys? Um, I've been like, I go through these like phases where if I'm super, super busy, I'd like hide under a rock until I feel less like stressed or caught more caught up you know what i mean so my instagram has been quiet uh when i get busy i that's the first thing that gets neglected 
is the content creation. Yeah, it's funny how that happens, right? When you're like so busy, we we talk about that over at Housemade. We're like, yeah, it's been so busy. We haven't, we don't make that much content right now. Um, but summertime's coming, and it's getting, it's easy. The workload's easing up a a, a little bit, so we're we're kind of rolling back into that. Yeah, right on. I've been working on a couple projects. Um, I've. I also haven't been posting very much lately and it's not because I haven't been working because I'm not super busy right now. I just haven't felt like it. I don't know. I'm working on a new EDC line because I, I did the shotgunners for a while and they were really popular. And then I just got burnout on them. And I didn't want, I don't honestly like people ask me and I'm like, nah, I don't really want to make one of those. I'm like, no, it's, it's I'm, I'm over it. So, uh, I've been trying to work on something else that I can actually get excited about. And, um, for those of you that are watching the podcast, here's a, a sneak peek at the the new EDC that I'm working on. It's a uh, ooh me likey. Yeah, that looks great, man. It's a lot thinner than the uh, the shotgunners. I, the thing I really loved about the shotgunners were they were just fat and you could you could hold them without scales. Whereas these have got bolted on scales, which are um, becone um, black pearl carbon fiber. And it's got that textured on the outside. And so I've actually been doing a lot of R&D is to try and make these things easy to make. Or not easy to make, but fast to make. So I created templates for the blades. I created templates for the scales because, as you can see, the spine protrudes yeah. out from underneath the scales. And so what I was able to do is I made a template out of uh, 8670 carbon steel for the not only the blade, but also for the scales and then just tracing the outside of the tang and then used my um, calipers and some Pika pen to scribe around and get exactly eighth of an inch in all the way around, ground it down, hardened it. And then I had my holes located and everything where my bolts are going to go through or the, the bosses for the, the bolts. So that way I can make each and every one exactly the same. And then I can just take my tilt table on my Ameribraid, put it at exactly 45 degrees, knock off the corners so that you got a little bit more comfortable handle. And then uh, just do like a stone wash finish on the blades. But I'm also going to do them in stainless too. So yeah, nice. We'll see how that goes. So yeah, it's I'm just crazy. trying to come up with something new. It's uh, it's all about, like you said, getting that streamlined process, um, you know, being able to do batches of stuff and make it, uh, so, uh, yeah, everything's streamlined. It makes it way easier. And it, you know, you guys both know there's a big difference in like a one-off handmade knife and the amount of time you spend on it that you have to justify, you know, that cost of that because it's got, you know, you can't eat that all the time, uh, unless it's right. a mistake you make. Um, but yeah, being able to streamline, man, I'm all about that. That's great. Yeah. Rip- repeatability is huge and especially if you're doing batch orders or you want to do batch orders yeah i close my books to custom orders till july because they just take so much time and i i don't know it's just it's really kind of put me on a crossroads because for a while i've been saying like i want to make my own damascus but like the more i think about it and the more i look into it it's like do i have do I even have the time to make my own Damascus? Is that even like a feasible thing for me? Because I'm leaning less towards one-off custom pieces and more towards batch orders at the moment. 
like does it even make sense so i'm kind of like leaning almost like should i start trying to do folders instead like maybe put put that effort into a mill and making like locking folders i'm i don't much care for friction folders not shitting on anybody who makes friction folders because they're beautiful they're works of art just like the rest of them but functionality wise it doesn't work for me i like to be able to you know push a button open the knife spring assist well, lock i i went down that little rabbit hole of making a couple of friction folders and the feedback that i got from my customers was oh that looks really cool let me know when you do a locking one i'll buy one and it's like, well, that's a whole nother ball game, dude. I, I just don't have the time and and the the tooling that's necessary to to go into that. So I didn't even bother. I, I made like one or two friction folders, and then I was like, all right, I'm done. Until I can do the locking mechanisms that everybody wants. I don't know. And I just never got back into it. So I focused on making the smaller EDCs. I did the shotgunner. I'm going to do these now. Um, I haven't quite come up with a name for them. Initially, I was going to call them the shotgunner V2 because it's based off of kind of the same style, but it's so different now. I might see if I can come up with a different name, but honestly, it just kind of came from the, all the, the kind of skills that I learned when I was making that batch of steak knives. Like I was able to streamline that process so well. It's like, well, I can do this with like an EDC. I can, you know, take these things that I learned because up until that point, I'd never really done a batch at all. And I know that sounds crazy because a lot of people, you, Brent, I know for sure, do batches. Like, that's what you do. And I've just never done it. I've always done, like, one knife at a time, customs. And so the whole batch process kind of intrigued me. It was it was kind of a, a little bit of a brain tickle to, to try and streamline that process. Um, so, and you, so, Brent, you do a lot of, you've got your, your, um, what's the term I'm looking for your different styles of knives that you do. And it seems like they're all like a very repeatable process. What, what sort of led you to that in your knife making versus the one-off customs? Cause this is actually a question I was going to ask you. Yeah. Um, so honestly, what led me to it was, um, uh, again, at the, at the beginning of making knives, it was like, ah, I'm just going to make what I want and figure, you know, figure out what, what designs you like and, also what your tooling can allow you to make, um, you know, we can, we can dream up some crazy stuff, but if you don't have the tooling to do it, uh, you know, it's kind of useless. So, uh, it came from that was I, I made a few designs and I would tweak them and, and think, oh yeah, I love this blade shape. You know, I love a clip point blade, but then I'd be like, oh, but I also like a sheep's foot. And then, so I'd make like two with the same handle with a different blade and you know oh i want a full flat grind but i also want a saber grind i want a hollow grind i want like and so it was just kind of that popcorn and and uh at some point i just for me i get overwhelmed by that and then you have <laughs> you have a customer right you'll you'll make 10 knives and out of that you maybe have two of the same thing uh, of each one so sure. you've got but even in those there was some variety um and you make two knives that look identical and then somebody you sell them and then somebody's like, Hey man, I want this one. And you're like, well, all right, but I, I don't have one like ground out right now and it's going to take a while. And I personally hate, um, hate putting, I put a lot of pressure on myself with orders whenever I take them. And so I just kind of, I, I pull back from taking orders, honestly, which I probably lose money and lose sales off of that. Um, because, you know, 
like working in the service industry on vehicles for years and having customers like, when's my thing going to be done? When's my thing going to be done? When's it going to be done? When are you, have you done it yet? Right. For me, making knives was moving away from that. And it was doing something for me that I was able to, to relax a little bit in the shop and have fun with it. And so anytime, you know, I love it when people reach out and they want me to make them something, but I immediately, whenever I get, Hey, can you make me a custom knife? My body tenses up (laughs) and I'm just like, "Uh, I don't know. So uh, I'm like, well, I I can, but I don't, it really comes down to, I don't want to, (laughs) unless it falls into what I'm doing. Uh, So uh, yeah, that's where that came from was I didn't want to deal with that. I wanted to make it as easy as possible and, um, and not have, I wanted to have variety, but variety within a small amount of models, if that makes sense. Um, Yes. No, I get that. Take my thicker clippers that I I just love making those now. Um, And it wasn't something I originally started doing, but uh, even in those, it's like, well, I could do different blade shapes, but ultimately I, I like a drop point blade with a swedge and I like the Tantos with some crazy angles on them. And so I'm just going to do those. And if somebody wants a custom one, well, that's going to be, you know, a custom handle. And if you don't want one of those, then, you know, that's the extent of my custom work uh, is we can customize a handle for you on one of those right now. That's what I'm doing. I've kind of found and maybe you guys will disagree, but I've kind of found that custom work. It's really good for a few things, but not great for other things. So like, it's really good if you're a beginner maker and you want to flex or like try new things because cut, like I found clients, they have no idea the difficulty of the things that they ask for or like if it's even like feasible to be used as a blade, but they want it anyways. Full agree. Or right. Or if your skills have progressed so much like a Kyle Royer situation, where you're selling those blades for an obscene amount of money. Um, but in between, if you're trying to pay your bills with knife making, really batch orders are kind of the way to go. It's the most cost effective. You know, you're not. You, it simplifies everything. Like, look, at uh, who's that guy? George Fedora. He's got another. He's got a podcast, too. Uh, I'm not familiar. Talk. Oh, nah, that big one. Knife talk. Whatever the guy's name is. Okay. He he does all his handles G10, all roughly the same blade shape. So that way, when you're ordering supplies, you're not ordering like a sheet of micarta, a sheet of G10, a sheet of, you know, one pin stock of this. You just, it's all streamlined. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think I would probably go insane if I came out to the shop every night and I worked on the same knife for a month. That would drive me batshit crazy yeah uh uh, yeah uh uh-huh absolutely (laughs) i don't don't know that's the way that's the way i work i like to Uh, as somebody who's currently batshit crazy i can completely understand what you mean (laughs) so you so you got so you got some crazy stuff you've been working on for a while Oh, yeah, I've got this one Damascus knife that I've been working on for freaking ever. And I just every time I go out there and I look at it, I'll do like I can't because I have so many other things that I want to work on. I can't just work on the one thing and I get to a point with it and then I set it up on the magnet and then 
as soon as I, you know, get some dopamine from doing a couple other things, then I'll come back to it and I'll do something else on it. And I'm just kind of taking my time with it. I can't just, I can't just go out there and work on the same thing every day, like you're saying, but I want to go back to what you were saying about how you allow your customers a certain amount of customization, which is the handle, or you have, you know, basically the same, the same blade, but with different grinds, whether it's a Tonto or a, a drop point. I think you're, you're tapping into something that's very deep in the human psyche that a lot of people don't realize, which is that humans are defined by their limits and the human brain is more susceptible to reacting well towards limits. Uh, you know, limits are, are what define our society, you know, like the, the, the limits that either we put on ourselves or society in institutions puts on us is, is very important. You know, you need to have rules, you need to have limits and they allow you a certain amount of growth within that. Um, and so I, I absolutely love the way that you're, you're, you're approaching that because I feel like it makes people realize doesn't maybe not realize, but it, it, it allows people a certain amount of creativity without ambiguity. And that's what I really love about that because that ambiguity is where things get muddled and you start to have less than ideal conversations with your customers. And so just having a certain set of options that is allowed within that, that set framework really uh, is, is an excellent business model in my mind. I, I, yeah. I, I really love that. Yeah, no, like, uh, so you're dead on with having too many options is a problem. Um, it becomes a problem. Um, if you if you can't figure out how to rein that in, it becomes a problem. Like for me, if I give myself too many options, even in ma as a maker, it becomes a problem because then I get I, I choke on what I'm doing. And I and I yeah. question, you know, oh, like that. There's just so many again, even with like the blade shapes. Um you can choke on that. Well, do I want to make drop points right now? Or do I want to make tantos? Or do I want to do some sheep's foot? Or do I want to use this steel or that steel? Like whatever that looks like, too many options you choke on. And so if I can restrict myself to a few blade steels that I that I like working with that are solid, then that's one less option. If I can reduce to the blade shapes, that's one less option. Um, and then the other thing, really what I learned, I've talked before to, to guys about, I do the gun show circuits uh, mm -hmm. and sell knives there, man, that is eye opening from a sales and a business owner standpoint. And because you get direct feedback right then and there um, without even asking for it. And some of it's, <laughs> uh, some of it's great and, and some of it's not so great. And it's pretty easy to weed through that. But in that, um, I learned a lot just by listening to people and I would, I would talk to people and I would pull my phone out and I'd take notes when they were gone. Uh, because you get the same questions. Uh, a lot of guys would question like, what's the use of a Tanto? That was like, oh, well, I didn't think that that was really a, a question, but like there are a lot of people that I realized have never seen a Tanto blade shape. Well, uh, so I, I need to know like how to tell them like why, why you would want that other than it looks cool, uh, which is a valid reason, but there are other functions to it. Um, the other thing was hand it just even in the smallest thing like handle 
handle thickness. I would have four knives on the table um, and each one, or maybe I'd have two that had like a really thin handle material. You know, let's say I started out uh, on the thicker clipper. Uh, if I had a solid color G10 that started out as quarter inch and then I ground in my grooves to give it a little pattern. Well, by the time mm -hmm. I do that, it's thin. It's like down to like an eighth inch or less. And then I would have another handle that was like a multi-layer that started out as three eighths and I ground that texture in and that was more like a quarter inch per scale. So sure. these guys would look at that and they'd be like, oh, well, I love, and even with, so I'd have different thicknesses of handle and then I would have two different blade finishes, a stone washed and uh, like a, a belt finished blade. Mm -hmm. And guys would pick them up and they'd be like, oh, I, I love this blade finish, but I like the thickness of this handle or vice versa. And I learned right. from that. Well, I just gave them too many choices because what happened was they had uh, decision fatigue and they walked away from the table because they couldn't figure out which one they wanted. They liked both of them equally, but it caused a conflict within their their decision making. And I potentially lost a sale just because of that. So learning from that was like, well, okay, every handle scale I do on a model needs to be the same thickness. And back to the custom knife stuff, when I first started out and you're doing one knife at a time and they're all a little bit different, you can get away with that. But, uh, but then say that guy comes back in a year and he wants to reorder, like make another order for that knife. And I don't remember how thick I made that handle and he gets it. And he's like, man, this feels totally different. Well, it's because I didn't, right. I didn't pay attention to those details because I was just doing whatever I wanted in that moment. Yeah, that's a For great sure. point when you're, when you're talking about, cause I've had customers who will buy a knife from me and then they'll want like a kitchen knife and they'll want to add to their set. And so they want another one. And Luckily, most of my customers understand that I'm doing a lot of growing in between my knives, you know, so so they they have, you know, multiples of my knives on their board or in their block or whatever it is. And they know that each one that they get is going to be different than the last one. You know, it's yeah. going to be better in this way or it's going to have, you know, some other aspect to it that, that the last one didn't. And and they're OK with that. But then again, you never know, like there could be customers that aren't. So that's a, that's a really great point that you, uh, you brought up with that. Um, Ryan, let's hear really quick from one of our sponsors and then let's play a little game of this or that. Sure. I just wanted to touch on your point right there, Noah, real quick, that another issue with like adding knives to a set later on is repeatability of handle material. Cause a lot of us are using like, unless you're me and you hoard the shit, like it's going out of style you've only got one or two blocks of the same thing. You know what I mean? So a year down the road when they want another knife that looks just like it, you, it might be a challenge and quite a time suck to track down an identical piece of handle material. Well, I have an answer for that. You want to hear it real quick? Yeah. So there's this guy, his name is Ryan Moeller, uh, wood by Moeller. And I know I've shouted him out a lot of times, but anytime I come up against that issue, I shoot him a DM and I'm like, Hey man, I got a customer that wants to duplicate this. Do you have anything? And, uh, he hasn't not had something for me yet. So that's awesome. 
I'm nice. just throwing that out there because I mean, unless you're using something like we we're talking about before, that's really repeatable, like G10 or Micarta, that's pretty easy. Like, oh, hey, I made it out of this Micarta. You go back to the same supplier and you get the same stuff. But when you're talking about stuff that's, you know, you know, uh, in this last case, it was bog oak or I had one that was um, like a curly walnut. And, you know, you talk to somebody that's like like Ryan Moeller or, you know, if somebody else has a different wood supplier, you know, you can talk to your wood supplier and get something similar enough because customers understand that when you're dealing with natural materials, there's going to be some variation. But as long as you get it pretty close, they'll be happy. Yeah, that's I cool. need to hook up on some bog oak. Every time I have bog oak and people are like, what do you got for material? And I show it to them. They're like, I want that. I'm like, okay. Ryan's the man, dude. But let's hear from a uh, little crafty man forge here. Hustle and Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Gooses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. I tried to get a video of some Cobra Chickens in my backyard the other day, but I couldn't. They, I couldn't get them in frame because they were moving. Dude, then, I saw a bunch of them. Yesterday, I was out fishing, and they were just kind of flying all over the lake. And I was like, look, Cobra Chicken. And everybody just kind of looks at me like, what? And I'm like, it's honk. Cobra Chicken right there. Yeah. Honk, honk, honk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then my six-year-old started honking back at him, which was freaking adorable. It was oh hilarious. But, uh, but Lawrence has been killing it. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but uh, he's been posting up some stuff on Instagram, his new products he's been getting in and stuff. He's got some cool stuff. I'm, I'm getting ready to make another order here soon. And he's got like these uh, stainless heat treating foil packs that come in different sizes. If you don't want to fold your own and cut your hands up, or if you don't want to make a mess with the the paint on uh, no scale that I've been using, um, which I still love, by the way. But if you didn't want to do either one of those things, you can get those heat treating foil packs, which looks super easy to use. Um, I was got looking some at new... those. They're welded on three sides. They're not even folded. Oh, I know. That's yeah. crazy. That's awesome. So, and they come in all different sizes that should fit pretty much any blade you're doing. So, who knows? I might just get some of those just to try it out. Yeah, because I like trying cool. new things. That but yeah, he's got cool. some other cool, cool stuff on there. Some other new products. Um, he saw, I saw he had some pretty badass looking um brushes, like wire brushes for uh brushing scale off and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I just anytime grabbed, we talk uh, about, I grabbed a bunch ahead. of belts from him just uh just this last week. Man, you can't beat that deal getting, you know, you buy 10 of the same belt and one of them's free. Like, that's, that's killer. And he has a selection, man. Yeah. Dude, he, that guy carries so much different stuff. So, yeah, if you're ever going on Maritime Knife Supply, just look what new stuff Lawrence has on there because he's always got something new. And all of it's going to make your, uh, make your life a little bit easier in bladesmithing, knife making, whatever you want to call yourself. Mm. So... I got a little bit of feedback from our listeners and I want to just go ahead and say something right now. If you want to give me feedback on this show, you are absolutely welcome to do so. Please. If you think that your opinion does not matter to me, you are incorrect because if you're a listener to this show, I love you. 
I appreciate you and I want to hear from you. So don't uh, don't don't think that you're being an inconvenience to me by by giving me feedback on what you do and what you don't like on the show. So um, I appreciate people really love this or that. Apparently, I didn't know this because guess what? Nobody told me. So if people don't tell me what they like and what they don't like on the show, then I have no idea. So I, I appreciate anyone who wants to reach out to me and tell me what they do and they don't like on the show. So just wanted to get that out of the way. Thank you all. All, Brent. F- all f- feedback DMs can be directed at Noah. <laughs> <laughs> and just because he, he wants the feedback doesn't mean he's going to do what you say. I mean, hey. Right. Well, yeah. And, and, and actually, while we're on the topic, I want to apologize to everybody because the last 15 minutes of the uh, last episode with Brownie was fucked up. Like there was a wicked bad delay. Oh, yeah. There, it was in the final file. There was nothing I could do about it. So that's, I apologize. That's a bummer. Uh, yeah, it was like, do I not release an episode or do I release an episode that's normal until the last 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. But it happens. Anyways. That happens. Technical difficulties. They happen. <laughs> Anyways. But just so everybody knows, when those things happen, I've already listened to the show four times. <laughs> so because after we get off it and once it like renders and everything the post-production's done i all i have to listen to it before i post it and then i listen to it again after it posts and yeah so by the time an episode releases i've already listened to it three four maybe five times and i and, haven't and regretted everything i've said <laughs> yeah, a time. little little self-deprecation going on there all right, well, back again, the game, this or that. Brent, are you ready? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. Underwater or in the air? Oh, in the air. Student or teacher? Oh, student. Bacon or sausage? <laughs> Bacon, it's God's meat candy. Damn right. <laughs> Synthetic or natural? Natural. Grilled or smoked? Oh, I'm going to go grilled. Flat grind or hollow? Hollow. Disney World or the beach? Uh, I guess the beach, because you can find secluded parts of that where there's not crazy amounts of people. Detailed or abstract? Uh, detailed. Antique or new? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um... I'm going to go with antique. Banana pudding flood or bacon hurricane? Well, back back to bacon. You speak my language. Bacon. Bacon hurricane it is. All right. There you go. This (laughs) or that. The hardest one in there, I think, was the the antique or new. Because there's so many cool things that are old and antique. But at the same time, there's so many different things that you, you just want like a new fresh thing of so it's that was i put yeah. that one in there and i was like ooh, i wouldn't be able to answer this one yeah when i when i hear antique or new i was you know being a mechanic for years i was thinking about cars and i'm like antique or new well is it a daily driver because if so i want new because i don't want to have to fix anything if yep. it's just something to look at and be cool let's go with antique <laughs> absolutely well, and all old tools are fantastic, whether it's an old anvil 
like an old drill press. You know, a lot of those older tools are just built so solid and, and yeah. you just don't get that in a lot of newer tools unless you spend astronomical amounts of money. This is true. Oh, speaking of which, so <clears throat> this whole mulling over doing folders, I've been looking at mills, like yeah. milling machines, like benchtop ones, asking people questions. And then uh, I look on Facebook Marketplace and there's a Bridgeport CNC mill for $850. Oh, Ooh. And I messaged the guy and he's like, oh, sorry, I just sold it. I'm like, oh, no. Oh. Had a three phase inverter and everything. I don't even know if it would have fit in here. I don't know how tall it was, but it was big. You would have made it work. That's right. Uh, yeah. I told the wife that. I said, I'll cut a hole out of the ceiling. I don't care. <laughs> I'll just walk around the hole upstairs. So it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. But I missed Man. out on it. That, that would have been like a once in a lifetime score. Have oh, the yeah. computer set up like the screen and everything. Eight hundred and fifty bucks. That's crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Somebody speaking got a of which, Brent, you've been working with all kinds of new and fancy tools at your day job. How's that going? Man, it's uh, it's going really cool. Yeah, Brian's always tinkering with the CNC machine, getting getting uh, his head wrapped around it, and then once he figures it out, he can teach me because uh, that's that's. Uh, my my strong suit is not doing figuring out all that stuff um yeah cad is not my strong suit i'm still learning and uh tinkering with it whenever i have time which is uh very seldom but it's super cool to see everything that's that we're capable to do and uh man it's pretty rad i'm not gonna lie when when we look at when we look at like uh, we were drilling some, uh, we were making some, some, uh, fixture plates and just being able to, uh, watching it after, of course, like Brian did all the programming, but then watching that machine go and spin around, machine the surface flat, then switch tools out, grab the next tool, drill the holes, and then switch to the next tool, tap the holes and then you're checking and it's like, man, in like 10 minutes, this machine has done what would have taken me like four hours and I would have been like not precise, even no matter how much time I would take, I would not be near as precise. So it's really cool to watch that thing. You know, it's like magic. It's rad. It's like the, the fucking future. Magic. It is definitely the future. You're not wrong. Man. That's, That's cool. crazy. So... You can be honest. House doesn't listen to our show. He said so. So, <laughs> what's it like working? What, what's it like working for Brian? Honestly, it's uh, the truth is it's great working there. Uh, it's great working working at Housemade. Um, the you know we became friends uh, probably a year or so before I, I came on there um, through me looking for grinders, and I found him. And I'm like, man, this dude's 30 minutes away from me. This, how crazy is this? And, you know, and so we kind of hooked up. We, we did some work together. We realized, you know, we, we get along. We, we think alike. And we're both, you know, we love the knife industry, the, the community. Um, and so we have that in common, which is kind of rare to have with somebody that's so close to you uh, physically. And then, you know, so like I said, we... We hung out, we'd 
you know, I'd go over to the shop late at night after I got done with work if I and, and do some things there. And, you know, whether it would be we were playing with the uh, playing with the hydraulic press or grinding stuff out or, you know, whatever we were doing, um, we just had a good time and we were able to bounce things off of each other and, and we worked well together. So it, it came really naturally. And we hung out outside of that, you know, uh, to get to know each other with you know, our wives and everything. And so, you know, I knew Brian, knew Sarah, and it was a really natural transition. You know, I was, I was openly, um, you know, not, not just to him, but even if anybody that would talk to me online knew that like the knife, knife making and, and bald man knife and tool was my trajectory to get out of the automotive industry um, you know, I spent enough years in it and it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. And so, um, that was, I was ramping up to, to be, uh, a knife maker full time, but more, more so than being a knife maker full time, you know, I got into making knives because I collected knives and for probably five or eight years before I started making a knife. And I had zero interest to make a knife until uh, one day I just started making one. I, I bought a knife actually when COVID hit. Uh, There's another local knife maker. He's a, an older guy. He's been making knives since he was like a teenager uh, or younger. I don't know, in like the 80s. And um, when COVID hit, couldn't travel, couldn't do Blade Show. Me and a couple of buddies used to go to Blade Show every year together uh, or every other year when we were collecting. and that year we were supposed to go, we couldn't go. And I'm like, man, well, I'm going to see if there's anybody local. And I've been saving up money for knives. And so I went over to his place and checked out his knives and bought a couple knives from him. And while I was in his shop, I'm like, man, I, this looks so much fun. Like it looks like a blast. Um, uh, I just want to give it a try. So that's where like coming from being a part of the knife community from the collector side, and then moving into the maker side was a, just a really cool transition. Um, and again, being so then fast forward to being uh, a knife maker, having the business, Baldwin Knife and Tool, and then meeting Brian. And he was just as passionate about the knife community and the industry as I was. Um, it was natural to be able to say, yeah, we can, I can still be a part of the knife industry. I'm still able to make knives, not only at home, but now at work. I can stop working on whatever projects when we have some time and I can grab a fistful of knives and I can start grinding them or I can heat treat them or I can, you know, sandblast or etch or tumble or, you know, whatever it is in the middle of my workday. Like where, where, what other job can you stop <laughs> and start working on your own stuff? And everybody's like, yeah, what are you doing? This is awesome. How can I help you? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, it yeah, seems it like unheard you of. you serendipitously fell into like one of the best situations you possibly could for a knife maker. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, and yeah. Brian, I like to, I always find myself around people I can learn from. And Brian seems like he is just a wealth of knowledge, like an yeah. unbelievable well of knowledge. Yeah, I mean. Uh, a lot of people take it for granted all the work that goes into like, even when he creates, um, when we do a product, 
uh, when we make a product or even like think of like the the Gen 5 uh, revolution when we made that that transition and made all those upgrades to the, the machine. Not only was it uh, spending a year or so of him spending time again in CAD, uh, in Fusion, learning, you know, doing little tweaks and then plasma cutting a prototype, seeing how it worked. Uh, not only was there all of that, but then on top of that, it's you need to have detailed instructions. And, and that's really hard. A lot of guys, it's really uh, the it's it adds a whole nother level of complexity. And when you get when I get to see that firsthand, all that goes into I need you know, we need to have these instructions really detailed, not only in like um, uh, video content where because everybody learns different. Right. So seeing that <clears throat> we'd have this in video content uh on youtube and on instagram we need to have it in uh in a, like a written content so when you get the part you can see that layout when you get the grinder you can see and you can follow along with those pdf directions um and and they have all the little details i mean there's so many details um that is pretty crazy so being able to just learn from that and see like how detail oriented he is um and through experience, knowing like we need to detail all this stuff out. We can't just drop a product. We can't just release something and not have answers for people. And, and he does like we get emails a lot like uh, guys will buy uh, even if they buy just like the plate steel kit and not the hardware with it. Um, and they'll be asking, you know, how many or yeah, they're they buy the directions and they want to know how to cut it out. Like what dimensions? Well, even though that's in the directions, like. I still have to pull out the directions and go through and find the measurements or I go grab the part, grab some dial calipers and I measure it. I can literally walk over to Brian and be like, Hey, this guy's asking about this. And he's boom, he's got it. He knows exactly what he's like. Oh, that bolt. It's this, it's this long, it's this diameter and it's a shoulder bolt and, or the nuts, you know, the nut has a collar on it or it doesn't have a collar or it's got a Teflon. Like he knows all that stuff. So, it's really crazy to see like how how important all those little details are, not just releasing the product. Yeah, he he's a rare guy too because not only does he have all that knowledge and talent, but a lot of a lot of people who have that level of knowledge and talent aren't able to like uh teach it. Right. They can't right. You know what I mean? Like the way they process it can't be projected outward for them. Whereas Brian is excellent at teaching everything. My ovens that I build for myself, every one of them is wired off of his YouTube video on how to, how he did his kiln. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Even like you said, like with the wiring, wiring up of that, uh, again, wiring, a lot of people get freaked out with wiring anything. Um, and it's funny because we get questions all the time. Like, Oh, I wired my VFD and you know, it, it throws this error up. And again, he knows exactly what each error is. And he's, oh, that's a bad motor. You got a bad motor. And we'll go, I'm like, are you sure? Could it? And the customer is even, are you sure? Well, the company said it's not that. It's the VFD. And the VFD company says it's not their VFD. It's the motor. And Brian's like, no, that error, it's for the motor. Or it's for, he knows exactly what all that is. So, yeah, being able to teach that stuff, retain that knowledge. I'm not good at retaining numbers and values. I always have to go back and double check, like, 
even like with my true tilt, I do all that stuff with the true tilt. I have all my angles for each one of my knives. Um, you know, the swedges and the, the, you know, and the Tanto, the tip grind versus the hollow main grind. I still have notes like my, I still have my Google notes and I'm like, every time I go to grind one, okay, what's the main bevel? I'm pretty sure it's this, but I don't know. I just, I don't retain that stuff very well. So I just have to re make notes for myself all the time, but yeah, being able to teach that and retain all those, those, uh, that information is crazy. Um, and like you said, he does like to teach and he enjoys it. He enjoyed uh, one of the things I learned early about once when I got to know Brian was, um, you know, I would go to the shop and we'd hang out in the afternoons or on the weekend or evenings or weekends. And just from a business perspective, I had never ventured out on my own to start a business, but I knew with bald man knife and tool, if I was going to do it, which I wanted to, I was going to start off being legit, meaning I was going to get an LLC. I was going to, you know, do everything above board. I didn't want to have to do like all this Venmo and PayPal. And am I really a business? Like I, if I'm, if I want this to be where I go, then I need to start off learning all this and hit with Brian having owned businesses prior. He was um, super helpful, like always giving me advice, like, not not the like advice that you don't ask for but the advice like <laughs> when you when you legitimately want it um he was always there and he's like man if you ever have a question come to me i want to help you i want your business to succeed and i see that in the community um where it's it's that caring about what other guys are doing and wanting them to be able to succeed in doing it um is is Part of what's really fun about being a housemate is we get to see like the journey of of all these other makers. Hell yeah, and being, and, and being an integral part of it because a lot of those people, myself, I think probably Ryan included, wouldn't be where we were at if we didn't have our revolution. Right. That's still to this day my go-to grinder, the one that I built from scratch. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It, it really is cool to see. Um, see all the guys that, that are running revolutions and, and the different generations. And then uh, to be able to retrofit all those generations is really fun to be able to see that, that you can just buy a few pieces oh, yeah. and you're, you're up and running. Yeah. Mine's a Frankenstein. It's got uh, a Bex armory tracking system. The legs on the gen ones were too short for three horsepower motors. So I had to add feet to it. So it looks like an ATAT from star Wars. <laughs> It's got like little like triangular feet underneath it. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a, a Gen three platen D plate. Okay. Yeah, we gotta get you get you you gotta get on the fast tracks tracking system, and then you gotta get on that Gen five D plate. That Gen five yeah. D plate does look a little bit nicer, doesn't it? It's a little deeper so, throw. It's got that that four inch contact wheel on the bottom. Deeper is always better. Mm. Um. So I wanted to quickly go back. Um. You were talking about when you kind of first got into the knife making, you went over and you when you were a collector and you got some got some knives from someone else that was local. Did you name who that was or did I did I miss that? No. So his name is Gordon Romis, uh, Romis Knives. Um, and man, that guy does incredible work. He I still like he's one of those guys that fit and finish. I look at still to this day <clears throat> and I'm just like he's on in my mind. He's. 
he's on this really high pedestal for fit and finish because he does such a good job, you know, like polished spines and hollow grind. Like he freehand hollow grinds pretty much everything. Um, and just his finishes are great. His handle work is great. Um, and, you know, he does a lot of, he has a few models that, that, um, he, he makes that are kind of just his, uh, I have one that's uh, it's called the Florida Caper, and it's like a little thin, kind of a burden troutish type knife uh, with a mm-hmm. really thin hollow grind, um, and the handles are just super clean. And then he does a lot of like Loveless style, you know, kind of the traditional fixed blade hunters. And uh, yeah, but man, I look at his work. Like I said, spines have this really high polish, nice and round. He tapers all his tangs. If the, unless it's a hidden tang and he actually taught me how to taper a tang. I don't really taper that many tangs anymore. Um, but he taught me how to do it. And I was always afraid of doing that. I don't know if you guys have ever done taper tangs. Um, but it was something I was, I used used to do almost exclusively taper tangs. Um, right now I do probably, mm, probably 60 40 between stock removal and forged okay but it used to be when i, w- I used to do 100 percent forged and so uh it actually happened just sort of on accident because i would always not leave myself enough room to fully forge out the tang so i would end up with a tapered tang just <laughs> by default when i was forging out my blades and so then i learned how to how to grind them and 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 pin them and everything. And oh, nice. that I actually learned that that technique from uh, Jason Knight in his forge series. Cause he goes oh, awesome. through that Yeah, on that, on that elemental chopper that he does. That's a tapered tang as well. Nice. So I learned that from him. Yeah. It's a cool look. Yeah, no, it's super cool. Uh, and you know, like I, I like it uh, right now. I don't do that much with it, but I always find it's really cool to do on like bigger choppers and stuff. Cause it thin, you know, lightens up the handle, makes it more blade heavy. And, mm-hmm. um, and it, it looks super cool when you do it right. And when you look at it and those tapers are lined up just perfect, it's, there's like, I think that's one of the coolest things when you're like, Oh man, all the way at the end, it's like a 16th of an inch. And you're like, Oh yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. That skill boner flex. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about when you're like, uh-huh. I, yeah. Like yeah. when you look at your plunge lines or like, and they're perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. You're like, mm, look yeah, at man, what I did. There's two different makers that really kill that. And I'm trying to remember who they are. Um, uh, Bittinger. Um, I think it's Dan Bittinger okay. over on the coast yeah. here. He does a taper tang on his chef knives. That is just, mm, yeah, just um, mint. But I, uh, there's one other guy that does Hen- a lot of s- Hensley Hensley handmade. Yeah. yeah. He does a lot. That, doesn't he? That's not the I one think- I'm thinking of. If I'm wrong, I'm just trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure Hensley does a lot of tapered tanks too. He probably does. I think there's he's a, the one that a I lot of how to do a lot it of makers that, that that really kill that. There's just one guy that's uh oh Gaskill Gaskill yeah, knives yeah, I think yeah. is his name. Yes, yes. Yeah, and he gets them. I mean, just paper thin down there at the end to where you're like, that is so precise and so right. clean gorgeous stuff yeah no Um, it it definitely adds a a different layer to the knife and you know i mean you can't deny that 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 shows an extra little bit of skill 
whenever you do, oh yeah when you do that and honestly that's mostly mostly what it is i mean because you can drill holes you can grind uh hollows on the inside of your tang before you do a glue up to try and try and lose some weight in that in that tang uh, is it really necessary to taper it eh, probably not but it's just so freaking cool why it's wouldn't a, you? it's a flex it's a dope yeah. it's a it's a yeah, it's a flex for a niche group, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's a dope. It's, awesome. it's a dope flex. I'm down with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it wasn't Hensley. He doesn't do. He, I didn't see any tapered tanks. He's the one who's been making funny real videos. All right. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's where, been doing where some he like, really good ones. Where he like gives a burglar a handmade knife to kill him with, <laughs> so at least he gets stabbed with something of quality. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, hey, um, I want to take a quick second to um, let you guys uh, let you guys know uh, we still have um, Hidden Rose Forge is still doing his fundraiser um, to to raise some money for his daughter's. Uh, I don't. Know, I want to call it. Here we go. Um, his his daughter's therapy or or surgery. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I apologize for not really knowing. Um, uh, so he says, uh, we'll be closing the waffle for Ellie's therapy fundraiser, uh, Sunday, four 30. What is that? Oh, that was my torch. Sorry. Jamming. <laughs> Trying to relight your cigar there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so anyways, uh, his, the therapy fundraiser goes until Sunday, 4 30 23 so the end of this week after this one comes out um it's ten dollars per entry unlimited entries each entry gets up to ten dollars off his steak slash pairing knives with customer choice of liners and pin colors with b-cone black pearl handles the prize will be a winner's choice between either a four and a half inch Kodiak Hunter in Baker Forge Damascus Core Raindrop Copper Mai and segmented carbon fiber handle with a tooled leather sheath from Moonchild Leatherworks or an eight inch Bowie Chef's Knife in Baker Forge Damascus Core Copper Raindrop Copper Mai blah, 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 with segmented carbon fiber handle. He sent me some pictures of these prize knives. Um, they are amazing. I got to say, like... He's got, for those of you that are, are watching the video, hopefully you can kind of see uh, a little bit of reflection there. But I mean, these knives are just killer. And he, he killed it with this. Uh, the Copper My Raindrop looks phenomenal. Yeah, that looks great. Um, he also wanted to give a quick shout out to, uh, excuse me, uh, our boy, Coy Baker. Um, he donated the steel for this fundraiser. So as we already know, Koi's an amazing dude and, um, and these knives are phenomenal. It's a great, great cause, um, helping out somebody in the community and health issues are something that we've all had to deal with at one point in time. And we know how bad it can be. So 10 bucks a spot. That's really not that much. If you can go check it out, go to Brian dot, is it Brian, Brian dot, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to look it look it up properly. Brian Hunt dot Hidden Rose Forge on Instagram, and uh, all the details are um, in his in his posts or in his bio, and you can just shoot him a DM for entries and that sort of thing. So, yep. Nice. And while we're on the topic, Mark at One One Eight Blades has a GoFundMe for his wife Chen. 
because she's that's right. Battling, yeah. She's battling cancer for the third time. The link to the GoFundMe will be in all the releases of this episode, and it's on the previous episode, and it'll probably be on every episode after this until they get the amount of money they need. So, because that's what we do. We support the people in the community that support us. Mark's and a great guy. Yeah, yeah, literally. He's Dutch. An integral part of the community, I would say. Yeah. Like wooden shoe Dutch. <laughs> wooden shoe Dutch. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. <laughs> all right, guys. Okay. So we got all the good stuff out of the way. Do we want to do a little bit of fake news? Let's, Let's do, do Phoenix first because we're Let's. an hour in. Yeah. And I, I don't want to forget. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle & Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Every there you go, day. guys. Every day. Every day. Just before I came on this podcast, I was using one. Gives me a beautiful. If you take one of those, one of those gator belts that has like the, I think it's the two, it's the equivalent of like a 240. And you finish a blade with that, like just, just a belt finish. You dip that sucker in acid and you throw it in the tumbler. It is an amazing finish. Like you don't have to. You don't have to hand sand. You don't have to do anything. You can take a belt finish right off of like a 220 or a 240 or like a 400 gator belt, stiff that thing in acid and throw it in the tumbler and you get a finish that looks well, just like this. I mean, beautiful. Look at that. It looks great. Nice. Those, those belts are freaking amazing. Like it's, oh, I love them. And they so great. And they sound really cool on the grinder too. <laughs> like, like space belts. That's what I call them is space belts. Base belts. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. We got some fake news today, boys. We got three news stories. One of them is entirely false. A facade. Fake news. Bring it. One of them. But two of them are real. Two of them really happened. And humanity is broken because of it. I'm sure we're going to be very disappointed when we find out which ones are real. (laughs) Uh, You were last week, so I I, I don't think anything's going to be different this week. All right. Here we go. Florida man tries assembling stolen scooter in front of store he stole it from. Pennsylvania man based entire life off of iconic character Dwight Schrute, now tremendously wealthy from Beat Farm. And lastly, Florida man doesn't remember taking a live alligator on a beer run. Oh, man. So two are true, one's false. Two are true, one's false. Oh, I'm... I am living in Florida. I'm banking on both of those Florida man stories are real. The first and the last <laughs> one are 100% real. Wait, it, hang on. Hang on. Is this the first time we've had an actual Florida man on the show? It is. Dude. Oh my gosh. Listen. See, Florida I guess it's a There's like a there's a there's a gap in Florida men. There's like the really wealthy snowbird And I'm going to retire and I'm going to go to Florida. So I get low taxes and all that stuff. So there's those guys. And then there's like the 
Florida man, meth head, um, that kind of guy. And so which are you? Uh, actually, well, um, (laughs) you only gave two categories there, man. Right. I kind of pigeonholed myself into that. Yeah, Um, you did. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not. Uh, let's scratch that. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's okay. We'll let you out of that one. Listen, living around the, uh, the, the lower level of that, uh, for a lot of years, Man, I'm all I'm very familiar with those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that the Gator one happened because I saw the news reel, like the them interviewing the guy. So the guy okay. that was all right. like did a beer run with a Gator. There was security cam footage and everything. Yeah, he's you like sent me fake a, ones before though. There's like a video of him walking through a Seven Eleven holding <laughs> a Gator and the like. <laughs> Damn it. Yes, yes, there really is. He's literally running through the yeah. store with a live gator in his arms. <laughs> and it was freaking hilarious. And he has no recollection of where the gator came from, where the gator is now, or anything about it. He has no memory of it, apparently. The interview was the best. He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> and he was so nonchalant. Know. He was so nonchalant about it. It was like no big deal. I was like, yeah, I guess I guess they charged me with a couple things. I'm going to have to go into court. Uh, I have no idea where the gator came from. I I don't even remember being here, honestly. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, that's that sounds one hundred percent legit. <laughs> so, okay, what well, the other so two stories. Now I got... that we've eliminated that one. We have Florida man tries assembling stolen scooter in front of the store he stole it from. <laughs> so dude steals a scooter from a store, goes out front and tries to assemble it to get his make his getaway on it. I don't know. Believable. And a Pennsylvania man based his entire life off of the iconic character Dwight Schrute, now tremendously wealthy from Beat Farm. And the picture of the picture of this dude is like literally like the glasses, everything like standing in front of his Beat Farm. Like, I think that's real. You think that I one's real? Like, I feel like all three are real. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, that's not really how the game's played, but all right. <laughs> I'm still sticking to the, the the guy assembling his scooter in front of the store he just stole it from. I'm, I'm down with that. That's that happened. Okay, so you're going with the the Pennsylvania man basing his life off of Dwight Schrute being fake. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ryan, what you got? I'll, I'll agree with Brent. Winner, winner. Look at you guys. Yes, <laughs> I know my crazy Floridians. I- Ah, I wanted this one to be real so badly, and I was just going to use it for like a Florida man uh, or where in the world is Florida man thing. Uh, But yeah, I couldn't find any supporting evidence to find out that this one was real. Like it had a very convincing headline and everything, but there was nothing on the Internet to to make me believe that it was real. There was no legitimate sources or anything. So Uh, the Florida man assembling the stolen scooter in front of the target that he stole it from. Uh, that was sent in by Jeremy from 419 Forging. Thank you very much for your contribution. And the Florida man uh, doesn't remember taking a live alligator on the beer run was sent to me by more people than I can count. Okay. <laughs> like, thank you all very much for sending this one to me. Everyone sent this one to me. Uh, but the first person, the first one to send it to me uh, was Brad Troxler from Troxler Custom Cutlery. So thank you very much, sir. Nice. Those are some oh, solid. Happens. Those are some solid Florida man stories. I got to tell you. 
Oh yeah, that's good stuff. No, you, you, your your state's been cranking them out lately, man. Good job. Keep it up. Yeah. How are we gonna do Florida Man next week? Because next week is Honor Caglar. Ah, we'll just do fake. We'll do fake news or something. I'm. I'm we just can saying, do... like they have to have some some place over there that's like Florida, as far as their. I think it's. I think it's Birmingham. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to talk to him about how there's like 40 accents in England. There's like so many different English accents. Yeah. There is quite a few. Yeah. And it's funny because they each make fun of each other too. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, uh, <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson, um, the guy from Top Gear and the Grand Tour, he's always making fun of the Northern accent. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mostly, I I need to find out like what some of the slang means, so that when I'm listening to the uh, Fire and Steel podcast, I know what the hell Honor is saying. Like he'll say something and be like, "Wait, is that a good thing or a bad thing?" I have no <laughs> idea what that word was that he just said. Like scouser, what's or a scouser? slag? What's yeah. what's a slag? I don't know. Okay. Or just here's here's the big one that I need to ask him. It's you know when somebody says, "Oh, I can't be asked to do it." It's like, are you saying you can't be asked to do it, or you can't be arsed to do it because that doesn't make sense why would you be arsed to do it but that's what it sounds like they're saying so we're gonna find these things out yes from the source sounds like you got a lot of questions for him for sure it's a weird world over there it's i mean it's, it's almost as weird as florida almost i mean we're just we're Some... just known for our crazy so you live i don't even know like what what or where anything is in florida you live is it is it somewhat close, but more west of Miami? Is that correct? Yeah, so we're basically right in between Miami and Tampa. Uh, we're in like South. And those are on opposite coasts, right? Uh, yeah, Miami's on the opposite coast, but it's really down towards like the tip of Florida. Uh, okay. So yeah, we're 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 pretty far down here. I mean, just to get it's great. Like just to get out of the state of Florida from where we are, it's like a five and a half hour drive until you hit the Georgia border. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. And that's like one highway. You're just driving on one highway for five and a half hours before you see like you're out of Florida. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You're further away from Florida than pickle is to me. And he's in another country. Yeah, that's like why anytime we go on trips, it's like, okay, so half of our trip is getting out of Florida and the other half we're through like four states. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the same here, though. It's like four hours to get to New Hampshire. And then once you're in New Hampshire, it's like, boom, mass, boom, New York. You're like right through it. Yeah. So did you grow up in Florida? Uh, So I've lived here since 96. So I, I moved here when I was in high school. Um, I, I grew up in Dallas, like a little suburb of Dallas, Texas. Um, okay. But yeah. I've been here longer than I lived there for, but yeah, man, Florida's uh, something special. That's why. So like when hurricanes come and everybody's like, why'd you guys stay? Well, we have one interstate that's like by us, which is I 75. And that's on our, like the, the West side of the oh. state. Uh, and then I-95 is on the east side of the state, which to get over to I-95 is like an hour and a half drive just to get onto I-95. But when hurricanes come, everybody is going north. So, you know, we usually have like 
a week where we know it's coming somewhere. And then we have like three days where it's like, hey, it's coming close to you. What people don't realize is when you when you it's finally like, OK, it's going to be somewhere near us. Um, by that time, the interstate is so busy that traffic is at a standstill and then gas stations start running out of gas. So you wind up running the risk of getting stuck somewhere in Florida still. Um, you know, I-75 is usually from the, the west coast of Florida uh, is usually about 45 minutes drive until you get to the coast. So it's not far from the coast of Florida in most parts of the state. Um, and then once the hurricane passes, well, now you can't get back down that interstate because everybody's flooding back in and the same deal, gas shortages, now power's out of a lot of places. So unless you plan on leaving like a week and a half before the hurricane comes and coming back a week and a half afterwards, you might as well stay and like ride it out because you're not going to get back in the state or you're going to get stranded somewhere. Hotels are always booked up, all that stuff. So it sounds crazy when everybody's like, why are these people still in Florida when they know a hurricane's coming? And partly it's true because, hey, man, they're scary as crap. Like, um, super scary when everyone, you know, this last one that came over was pretty wild. Um, but, yeah, you're like, so I'm going to be gone for three weeks is really what it comes down to. And, you know, unless you Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. You don't. Have, and then you get back to a house that doesn't have power and all the foods rotten in the refrigerator and all that stuff. And maybe your house got looted. Who knows? Or a window got busted out and your house has been flooded for a week and you don't know it. So, mm. <clears throat> so yeah. yeah. And, and where are you going to go? Right. At that point. So, and you've been out of, <clears throat> You've been gone for three weeks, so you just blew through a bunch of savings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I could see living in hurricane area. We get hurricanes here, but it's tornadoes that I can't wrap my head around. Living in Tornado Alley, like I just can't wrap my head around it. I'm like, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, tornadoes and earthquakes, like, bro, you don't have a warning for that stuff. That freaks me out. At least the hurricanes, we have a warning. We can kind of keep an eye on, like, how an estimate of how bad it's going to be or how close it's going to be to us. Um, but yeah, that's honestly, that's the reason most people don't leave is you're stuck. If you leave, you know, you got to leave so far in advance and you wind up having to come back so far, you know, so long after it that, you know, kind of doesn't. What I'm hearing from this is that in the, in the case of any kind of invasion or any sort of apocalypse, you're screwed in Florida. Or we're just super well prepared. <laughs> well, that's true. If you if you can ride out a hurricane, you can ride out an apocalypse. I mean, we can live without power in like ninety degree heat and wet everything uh, for for like God. That sounds miserable for like two weeks. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. But if if we go without power in January, we freeze to death. This is true. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know, man. I got plenty of stuff to burn around here. I'd be okay. I don't know. That's the thing, though. When you're talking about, like, natural disasters, I've been kind of, you know, eh, not really seriously, but I've been, ever since I started, we, we talked to Jason Knight about Tennessee. I'm like, ooh, Tennessee sounds really nice. You know, I've I've had, I've known multiple people that have been to Tennessee, and it's like, oh, it's so great. I've known a couple people that moved there. 
and I'm looking at it and I was like, I just can't stand the humidity. Like I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do Florida. Like I'm scared to be in Georgia for like three days. Like I'm scared about that. Like I couldn't live in a place like that. Yeah, um, it, just me personally, I couldn't handle it. But the thing is, is that like anywhere you look, there's some sort of natural disaster here. We got wildfires. Right. I'm used to wildfires. Like that doesn't, you know, that I'm not bothered by wildfires. They happen pretty often. Over on the other side of the state where I grew up, we had floods. I was used to floods, so floods didn't scare me. But then you go to talking about Tennessee, it's like, well, we get, we get tornadoes on occasion. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm used to wildfires. I don't know how I'd feel about tornadoes. And then in Florida, you got hurricanes, and it's like, there's gonna be something somewhere. Like, I don't, I don't feel like there's any place that's like perfect. You know what I mean? No, no, yeah. I agree. I mean, we don't have any of that shit, but we got long winters and ice storms. Yeah, so you're like locked in for months and months at a time with long winters, right? Like you, you just mm-hmm. you got to deal with it. We get like yep. summertime is the worst here because, like I said, it's like 80s, like upper 80s to like mid 90s with like 95% humidity. So as soon as you get out of your car, you're like just drenched. You're like soaking wet. Um and the sun's like always beating down. And then in the afternoons in the summer, it pours rain for like two to four hours every afternoon. Like you get this you, in the summer, in the summer, you can almost set your watch by it at like four o'clock. It's going to stop downpouring and it's going to downpour for a couple hours and then it's going to be done. Usually every once in a while it's longer, but like that's pretty much how it goes every summer. Uh, in the afternoons, you get this torrential downpour. And you'll be driving down the road. It's crazy. You'll be driving down the road and it's like bright and sunny and everything's like perfect. And then all of a sudden you hit this wall of rain and you drive for like five miles. And then all of a sudden it's bright and sunny. And then even while it's downpouring, it's bright and sunny. So then you can't see anything because there's glare on everything. Um, But yeah, so we just do. That's crazy. We deal with crazy rain and humidity in the summer and then the occasional hurricane. Um, so the craziest rain I've ever, ever encountered was actually this last winter. Uh, my wife and I were driving home and I had just bought in another car. So we were actually driving in separate cars and we're driving home and it starts to rain. And I'm like, Oh geez, this is kind of out of nowhere, you know? And then all of a sudden it starts pouring and I'm like, geez, like it hasn't rained this hard in a while. And it's just, dumping it's windy it's it's like a full-on storm and i'm like this is pretty crazy and this other we're driving on a two-lane highway and this other car comes and he starts flashing his lights and i'm like oh geez here we go because i live i live right next to a river so i've got the columbia river on my right hand side and cliffs on my left hand side and we get rock slides we get um animals that get hit by cars all the time accidents happen pretty often so somebody starts flashing their lights i'm thinking there's going to be a giant rock slide up here it's going to be we're going to i hope we can get around it you know and we get up and i'm like i don't see anything and then all of a sudden this wall of water (laughs) hits the front of the car and i've never seen anything like it my wife thought the windshield was going to break because it was raining so hard you could not see 10 feet in front of the car i'm literally literally driving 5 miles an hour on the shoulder cuz if there's anybody that comes up behind me they're just going to plow right into me because they're not going to see me right 
Like I've driven in whiteout snow. I've driven in anything, nothing as terrifying as this. Like it was so loud. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was literally like driving through solid water. That's I have that's no a, idea. That sounds about like a, a Florida rain in the summer. And the worst part about it down really? here. Yeah. The worst part about it down here. Uh, not the worst, but like it adds to it when you're driving down the road and it downpours and you can barely see 20 feet in front of you. And then you got these guys. There's like signs all over whenever it rains, like, you know, the digital traffic signs that always mm-hmm. say, do not put your flashers on because all these idiots throw their flashers on in these heavy rains. Well, for me, like uh, it drives me absolutely up the wall because now you've got rain that you can barely see through. And then you've got all these lights in front of you flashing. And there's a, a lot, oh. of, a lot of cars don't use Amber flashers for the back. They use the tail light. So it's red. And so now you're like, oh, I don't know if they're hitting their brakes or if they've got their flashers on. And then you've got like five cars in front of you with flashers going in your eyes. I get so irate when that happens because I'm like, please, I can't see anything. So then you wind up like going five miles an hour, hoping that, you know, nobody's stopping when their flashers are on in the rain. But yeah, there's like digital traffic signs all the time. It's illegal to put flashers on in the rain, but people do it all the time. And it's maddening. The no wonder weirdest, people are so crazy down there. Yeah, the weirdest weather phenomena <laughs> I've ever driven in, and it was like the scariest shit. Uh, I've driven in like whiteout blizzards. I mean, I'm from Maine. I've driven in ice storms, all kinds of gnarly situations like that. But when I was in California, we lived out in the mountains, out switchbacks, and the fog going mm. over the mountain would be so thick you could like feel it, like in the air. Yeah. Like if you got out of your car, it was like. Like it would stick to you almost. And uh, you can't see the next line in front of you in the road. Let alone like, let alone like the houses or the trees or anything. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know. We get, we get thick fog like that sometimes, but not very often. It's been so many years since I've actually driven in like snow and ice. You know, we got it a lot in the Dallas area. uh, And I learned how to drive with that. Like my first car was a Mustang with a manual transmission. And so like, and I learned how to drive on like an old Ford Aerostar van with a manual transmission, my dad's van and in like the winter time. So I learned how to drive on that uh, with a rear wheel drive car and stick shift and all that. But it's been so many years. So like, since I've driven in that, that like, I recognize that that's like not my strong suit. So we went a couple of years ago, we went up to Tennessee, uh, the family did, you know, me and my wife and my kids for during Christmas and my kids, you know, they're, they're teenagers and they were born and raised in Florida. Well, the, one of the things about being in, born and raised in Florida is a lot of, unless you go on trips, like a lot of these kids have never seen snow, which my kids were in that boat. They were teenagers and they had never seen snow. So me and my wife were like, Hey, Christmas time, we want to get away for Christmas and let's go somewhere where like the kids might actually get to see snow. So we went up to Tennessee, got a little cabin in the mountains and it was like, you know, the, it was like the Christmas story, right? Like Christmas Eve, it starts snowing and we're like, yes, this is what we came here for. And then it, before it snowed, it started raining. So we were like locked in the cabin 
all of Christmas Day and like, you know, the Christmas oh, evening. That sounds like fun. It was a blast. I actually had a blast. However, oh, okay. the because we like, you know, we had a cabin. So we were fully stocked on like food and everything. So, you know, it wound up snowing. I think if I remember right, it was like the largest Christmas snow that Tennessee had ever, that area of Tennessee had had in like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. So yeah, the kids got to play in snow, but the mistake I made was we rented a car for that trip and I had rented like a, a sedan, like I'd rented like a, you know, they're like, Oh, it'll be a Nissan Altima or Maxima, you know, whatever, or comparable. So I get there to pick up the car and the, the rental company, they're like, Hey, so we have a Nissan Altima. Like that's what you're going to rent, whatever. Um, we just need to clean it up, but you know, we, you have your choice of cars. You can either get a Nissan Altima or we have a Dodge, uh, uh, what's the four door, the challenge or charger. Uh, mm. we, and I'm, and he's like, so you could rent that too. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Let me go see. Well, it was like, it had the big motor in it. It was like decked out. It was the like fully decked. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in all this ice and snow in Tennessee. And I've got this rear wheel drive car with a, like a big 5.7 liter Hemi in it. And I'm like, mm, yeah, this was maybe a mistake. Because <laughs> as soon as I like the cabin was on, like an, you had to get out of the driveway on an incline and we tried to get out and it was like rear tires are just spinning. We're not moving at all. And I'm like, hey, guys, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Back in the cabin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to back out in those situations. Oh, uh, there was no getting out of that driveway. We're like, it was, we actually had a family member that was staying near us and they were driving in, uh, into the same town. They were going to spend Christmas with us and they wound up because of the rain and the snow, um, the Christmas Eve night, they wound up there. They spun out their car on a mountain road, like a mile and a half from us spun out they're in the middle of the road and a car came around the corner t-boned them knocked them into the ditch which uh. like they're we're in like mountains it was like up in uh like the smoky mountain area and so they're literally on the side stuck freaking out it was a whole a whole big ordeal but they call tow truck companies all these tow truck companies the fire department please because they're like we're stuck we don't know what to do they were freaking out and Every one of the responders was like, yeah, you're, you're stuck. We're not coming. Nobody's coming out until this is like, you're there. Enjoy your time on the side of the mountain. <laughs> Jeez. Nobody would come out. No tow truck company, nothing. So they wound up sitting in their car until like, I don't know what time in the middle of the night. Um, and turns out there was some, some Tennessee good old boy that was listening to a CB radio comes rolling up in his pickup truck. And they see the lights guy walks down to the car and he goes, Hey, I heard you guys calling in and nobody was coming to help you. And I figured I was sitting at home doing nothing. So, so he's like, he picks them up. They get in his truck and they said, there's like a beer sitting in the cooler, sitting in the coaster. He's got a a bottle of beer sitting in the coaster, (laughs) rolls them out with his truck and rolls them to their, uh, their hotel that they were staying at. But yeah, nobody would come. Hell yeah. No no first responders would come get them. No tow trucks. 
just some good old Tennessee boy. Uh, I saw saw a reel that that reminds me of today where it was like when China invades and it's the friggin' superhero guy from the boys looking all awkward and all you can hear is ding, 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 ding. Like when China invades the Appalachians. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the good old boys. (laughs) It's good old boys. I've been getting a lot of those reels sent to me recently. Well, guys, it's been fun. Do we want to roll into an after show, I think? Yeah, man, I let's think do we this. do for our patrons. Absolutely. Been a good time. We're going to talk about cigars in the after show, guys. So if you're interested in that and whatever else we might get into for as little as $1 a month, you can go to patreon.com and subscribe to Hustle and Grind podcast. Support us. Keep uh, doing what we're doing. And we really appreciate that. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. All right. Yeah. And we love you. Fire up we the do. torches. Hope you all have a great week. Bye.